So hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nucleus Investment Insights. Uh, and we've entitled this one, Is Your Fun Fund Manager Swimming Naked? So this has come about from a, um, a recent inquiry we, um, or a story we heard from a uh, prospective client who uh, thought he was in a quite an income-focused fund um, that he took on to believe as a low uh, equity exposure. And uh, then as he found out, and as we'll uh, work through in today's presentation, uh, it turned out to be anything but. And uh, given the recent market volatility, uh, he learned the lesson the hard way. So we thought we might a good good opportunity to uh, for for Damien to throw out his thoughts on uh, on what he thinks uh, or some ways that we can have a look at whether or not uh, what fund managers are doing is uh, is actually or what they're saying they're doing is actually happening. Yeah, sure. And uh, and I think Tim, the the key thing I wanted to try and get across is that uh, right now is a, it's a tough time right now for for fund managers and and for anyone trying to pick a new fund is it's very hard to find something that that hasn't fallen substantially over the last you know couple of months. Uh, and then, so the question has to come back to saying, well, if if everyone's down, you know, how should I mark the guys that are down more or, or down less, and, and and is it a bad thing or a good thing? And and it really, for me, depends upon what products they're in, because there are certain markets that, say, the government bonds that have, that have risen. So if you're in a pure government bond fund, then um, you know, that, then you would expect to go up, but it's, but that doesn't mean it's a guarantee you're going to go up. And you're going to outperform, you know, all the time. But it, but there's a good defensive fund. So so trying to work out, you know, how you should be looking at the results and, and whether you and and so yeah. And so maybe we'll jump into the into the presentation the proper. Presentation, yeah. yeah, sure, no worries. Okay, so um, we'll jump into a quickly uh, an agenda. So we'll just cover it off on four, I guess, key things to think about. So are the assets uh, what you thought they were? Are the funds invested uh, how they should be? Are your funds tactically allocated or are they just fully invested all the time? And finally, uh, are your fund returns too stable? That's an interesting one. I can't wait for <laughs> to hear the thoughts on that one as well. Yeah, sure. And so, and so the you know, the, I guess getting into this sort of um, what are your assets? Yeah, so the, so, the, so the main thing I wanted to sort of address here is that uh, it's coming back to that, that person who had bought an income fund thinking that uh, it, it's very stable. And so uh, the main thing I'm trying to get to is that there's lots of different types of income funds. And so if you've bought a government bond income fund, that's generally is very stable. Um, and when when you see markets fall off, the, the, the government bonds generally rise. And, and we've seen that come come through in, in this in this episode. Uh, however, if you're buying uh, a, there's a number of different, other different types of income funds. Uh, some of them are, are, are Income funds that might be property-based income fund, and so with the Australian property market falling quite precipitously, uh, you know those those are you, you might still be getting this nice income, but your capital's all of a sudden at risk. Mm. And I know there's certainly um, you know if you look through the the, the newspaper and, and see some of these uh, some of the ones that sort of target in in newspapers because they're read by older people, uh, and they target people talking about these you know seven eight nine percent returns, which are you know and 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 quote about how good they are. Um, often they're the types of returns that institutional investors would say, "Well, I need a fifteen to twenty-five percent return." Hmm. So, so for for a higher risk property um, investment, investment, yeah, yep. uh, you know, institutional investors generally somewhere between fifteen and twenty-five, depending upon the, the nature of the risk and, and 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 things like that. And and often these funds get bundled up and sold to retail investors for you know seven, eight, nine, ten percent returns. Uh, and and the person thinks they're getting a great deal, and and they probably from a from a return perspective, you know, it's nine times out of ten you, you you're coming in and getting the money, and mm. then the tenth time you you're losing, you know, 
your capital and and all of a sudden that's the that's where the, the problem starts to arise so so what you're saying there is um sort of in a um like a gfc sole event when the property funds were frozen sort of those that's Abs- scenario yeah, yeah absolutely okay. yeah so you get um yeah so the issue there is they get frozen the other thing the other issue is often with property funds there there's often gearing behind it as well mm. and so you you're not the um so if something goes wrong uh, they might have geared the property to 60-70% uh, and then gone out and borrowed more money from you as a sort of a mezzanine loan, they call it, or or, or even some sort of equity type, um, you know, quasi-equity. Mm. And so when the property falls by 30% because the guy, the, the developer can't finish it or, or whatever happens, um, the, the, the bank walks away with most of their money mm. and you end up with, with a, having to take a, a haircut on whatever's left. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, sure. And so, so there's that part. Uh, then you can start moving through some of the um, some of the property, so, so some of the listed property, and also the um, uh, the, the equity income funds, and, and and also corporate debt funds. So corporate debt funds haven't have they've fared not too bad in this one in this sort of downturn, but but you do find that um, when uh, you do go into serious recessions, that corporate debt funds can can really suffer because the default rate jumps up quite substantially, and so we haven't seen that in this sort of latest market market sell-off but we have what we have seen is the equity funds and the equity listed funds are the ones where um they've been hit quite hard and quite often they 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 do get hit sort of on a, on a similar basis so I've, I've got a chart up of a um and I, I blame um you know iris and potentially it's just somebody somebody sitting at iris you know 20 years ago typing something in who decided to to break out um so just quickly, when you say Iris, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, they're they're a data provider for for a lot of uh, intermediaries and a lot of stockbrokers and 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 planners in, in the Australian um, market, and, mm-hmm. and they decided to break uh, listed property. Uh, so if you go out and buy, you know, Stocklands or or whatever on the on the stock exchange, they then put that into a different bucket than if you go out and buy BHP or or uh, one of the banks. Yep. And so I've got a, I've got a chart up showing um, a similar type of thing to to what our um, you know what this investor showed uh, what the investor talked about where you know it's got domestic shares of 12 percent and international shares of 10 percent and then it's got these big big uh sections for uh listed property domestic listed property and, and international and then some fixed interest in cash and so i think a lot of people will, will naively look at these and say well i've got international shares of 10 percent they're pretty risky i've got the domestic shares of 12 percent they're pretty risky oh well that's only 20 percent total return total risk of you know 80 something almost 80 percent of my fund is is in is in safe assets mm. whereas in reality you do actually have to add in those those domestic listed property and and you know the the, the breaks between those are, are um you'll see things in in the listed shares that are they're actually a lot safer than properties some of the utilities and things like that and and, and vice versa there'll be some some very high risk property stuff that can end up in the um, in the domestic so so I guess where I'm trying to get to with this is you you need to know what you've bought yep and so if something's gone wrong and you're looking at a return going that's not what I was expecting from this fund the question is first uh, do I have I bought something different to what I thought I had? Mm. So, so the, the next question will be: Is your manager doing something wrong? But the first question you should be asking is: You know, what 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 do I actually own, and and at, do I own you know what I was expecting to? And, and so, really, I guess the so and and this is really about getting a firm idea of the the, the classification. So rather than just saying, okay, I'm sitting in a twenty percent uh, aggressive or twenty percent growth, you know, eighty percent defensive mix which um, as our example I think it was actually significantly lower than that um, and then but he, what he 
didn't find out or what wasn't immediately available in, when he made the investment was the fact that property was listed as this giant, you know, and a fair bit of it from the sound of things was listed as a defensive as a as a defensive asset. Yes, and it, it behaved like a growth asset when the markets fell. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. So, so the question's coming for me is coming back to saying, um, have you? you know, there's there's two questions you can ask. One is, is it the fund manager's fault? And the other person is, is it the person who's decided to buy the fund? Mm. So the fund might have done a great job relative to to its benchmark and, and what it's trying to outperform because sure. everything fell, but you're actually in the wrong asset class. So mm. so what I'm, yeah, so first question, making sure that you, the asset class you think. And I've got a, a chart up just on the next one, just sort of showing that what I spoke about a little bit earlier, the um, the government bond fund versus, I've just used a, an ETF. There's a uh, Australian shares high yield ETF, which basically just screens the Australian market for, for large cap stocks with with high yields, mm-hmm. and you can see that that's sort of off, you know, fifteen percent ish, tend to, or yeah, a little bit less than fifteen percent over that time period. Whereas government bonds was very stable and, and rose over the um, over that sort of same period, as, as you would expect, I guess, essentially yeah. doing its job. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, um, and that's guess just really highlighting. So the first bit is you know making sure you're in you're in what you think you're in. Then the second part is now is your fund manager doing doing the job that, that they should be doing. And that's that's a complicated question as well. Um, so I might jump on to the, the next one. So I've, I've sort of got two different types of fund managers. Um, oh, sorry. Um, two different types of fund managers. One's um, a, a style manager where they, they choose their either like a growth manager or a value manager or a quality or um, you know, they might, there's another of other different blends. Mm-hmm. But um, they've, they've, they've sort of told you that, hey, if you, if you give me your money, I'm going to go out and invest in quality stocks, or I'm going to go out and invest in value stocks, or, or whatever. Okay. And so, the issue when you're uh, investing in these guys is, let's say a value manager in particular, they're the ones that tend to be uh, when the markets are going ballistic, they don't tend to rise as much. But when the markets fall, uh, you you do well okay. in, in those ones. Well, you do. You, you generally do better than better than the market. So you're not okay. as much of a rise on the way up, but you're protected on the way down. Sure. The issue you've got is, let's say for value, is we've just been through this period of you know ten plus years where value's been underperforming. We've had this great market ever since the financial crisis sort of bottomed and and, and markets were rising. So every single month, um, or you know, most months, these these managers are turning up uh, and saying to their investors, "Well, we underperformed the market, but we did pro- quite well because we're a value manager. You know, when things turn bad, we'll, we're going to be here for you." And after uh, ten years, after ten years of that, you know, there's 120 monthly reports you've written in you know 100 of them explaining why you know you're still a value manager and all that type of stuff so the danger the danger is that you've, you've given your money to a value manager and they've started to drift away from the value because they've just sort of after you know report after Nine report they start going well <laughs> maybe i do need some tesla to to give myself some a bit of juice in here or maybe i need some you know some 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 of the um some more growth into the into the portfolio so uh so that's that's one element you need to be watching is if you have bought a fund because it's a defensive fund and it's not acting like a defensive fund you know the question is come is it because you had this what they call style drift or, or are they they and so i guess just for, for someone sitting at home um you know how easy is it to determine um the the style so to speak is it something that's sort of touted as, as, as like what is it obviously there's i'm sure there's managers out there that just say i'm a card carrying growth 
But yep. um, is that always the case, or you know, is it? Is it? Can you sort of ring up your fund manager or ring up whoever's managing well, money and say, oh, "I've just heard about this style business, and how do I find this?" Out? Well, it, it should, yeah, it should have been something that's in the like most of them will include in their name, like, okay, as, as opposed to whether they're, or, yeah, um, right. but but certainly within the 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 blurb on the fund you, you will you should get some sort of feel about whether they're growth or small caps or or, or things like that okay um or an advisor could figure it out for you if you're using an advisor if you've yep. got an advisor absolutely they should know yep. they should have put together your portfolio knowing knowing what they've they've got okay and so the issue for these ones is if you've gone and bought a high growth manager and they've you know performed really well on the way up but then lost you a lot of money on the way down it, it is hard to uh, and and sort of they've, and they've performed similar to to most other growth stocks, you know it's it is again a hard to blame the manager for it. Mm. Um, you know it's, it's it's about what asset you bought and if they're trying to buy growth assets then, then that's what their their mandate is. Mm. There's there's other ones though that um, so so yeah so so there's other ones that are the, the hedge funds and the black box ones that are cool and they're okay. the ones more that are just saying look just trust me you know I've got I've got this process. And I'll sort you out, Tim. Um, just give me your money, and, and everything will be fine. And, and, a, and a very open palette. Exactly. I can invest in. <laughs> yeah. So there's so there's a, there's some that are um, yeah that, that are extremely wide. And they're the ones generally. It's it's quite worrying to, as an investor, from my perspective, if I look at something, a fund, and and um, there's basically you know no no restrictions on what it can buy or what it can do, whatever it feels like it. Um, they're the ones that can be quite concerning, especially if if you don't think they've got or if they may not have all the um, the checks and balances in place, processes, the, the processes, yep. yeah, and, and a long history of sort of their performance. Yeah, that would lend to me, I guess, as being sort of the um, the jack of all trades and master of none. Is that sort of the, the line of thinking, or is it just that they say, well, look, rather than trying to create a, a defined set of boundaries that are effectively our playground, mm. we'll just say, oh, let's just have everything so we have to do with the client compliance later if we need to get into derivatives. There, there, there certainly are <laughs> there certainly are some in that boat. Um, there's other ones that do have, you know, there's a lot of hedge funds that have quite structured. Um, investment and okay. some of them are a black box intentionally in terms of saying well we've, we're very structured we make these returns quite consistently but we don't want to tell everyone what we're doing because otherwise everyone will start doing it and yeah, so okay. there, there is a, a, um, there's a, there's a there's an argument behind that but uh, you do need to watch and be quite careful about when, you, when you've bought those ones and, and especially now if, if you've bought a hedge fund because or an absolute return fund because you were expecting this thing to um, to give you uh, steady returns, and you're finding that uh, it didn't rise by that much as the market rose, but now the market's falling and, and it, it has fallen sort of five or ten percent. Mm-hmm. Then you have to be, you know, a lot more concerned and, and reevaluate your investment decision because sure. a lot of the hedge funds, in particular, charge quite high fees, and uh, if you're not getting the performance for your fees, then uh, and, and and the average in the average hedge fund, you. Um, you certainly aren't. Mm. Uh, you know, most of those, most in, in the average hedge fund over the last 10, 15 years, they've tended to um, underperform the market on the way up, but but fall when the market falls. Not maybe not as much as market, but mm-hmm. but sort of you know you've had a limited and and for that privilege you've had sort of to pay two two and twenty yep. or something like that. So yep. so um, okay. yeah, making sure that if you're in these hedge fund black box. That, that the returns you're getting now are consistent with what they're saying, especially if they're they're running like an absolute return fund or some sort of um, you know hedge style that's not meant to lose money, mm. but they are actually losing money. Then you know you need to you know, reconsider whether you want to keep going in the, okay. them as a as an investment. Sure thing. So 
Yeah, so so the I guess the, the summary for that was the first one was um, the first one was about the uh, you know are you in the right funds and the second one now then is okay if you've got your manager are they actually doing the job they they say they were doing and then um, so you can sort of come back to, to try and work out what's the um, you know what's the positive or the negative you know should you should you be reevaluating and, and doing it or not okay sure thing so we'll jump into the next one now tactical asset allocation yeah so now there's there's a couple of different ways people as allocate um, funds between bonds and 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 shares and cash and um, and it's all about getting diversification, having a few different a few different things um, to to a few different assets that to go up and down at, at different times. So there's there's two main breakdowns you have. One is strategic, and the other one's tactical. So strategic is basically saying, look, we don't know what market's going to do, so we're just going to buy. Um, this fund. <laughs> well, we're just going to buy this percentage, and um, so Tim, you've come in, and, and we think you're a seventy percent equities, thirty percent bonds type of guy, and that's what we're giving you forever. Okay. So in you come, and, and you're off and running, and markets go up, they'll go down. Equities will be overpriced, we're still buying thirty percent. Bonds will be underpriced, we're still buying thirty percent. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 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 what you get. And so for those guys, if you've invested one of those. Um, Again, you've you've got what you've got. It's hard to hard to argue with it. There is a question about should you be in strategic or should you use tactical, and, and there's a there's a huge debate mm-hmm. about which one's right and which one's wrong. We we prefer to sort of lean in so that when uh, tactically, when uh, share markets have a good run, you, you you take a bit out of your share market and you put it into your bonds and, and cash, and then vice versa. When share markets have pulled back, you you, you flip back the other way. Okay. Um, other people just go no. I'm just buying this at the same time. If, if you are strategically asset allocated, um, you want to make sure though that that didn't creep up. So, so mm. equity markets had a great run. You want to make sure that your 70% didn't turn into 78% mm. and they didn't rebalance you back. And then the markets have fallen and, and done the rebalance for back. you. Yeah, yeah. Yep, so, yep, sure. so the benefit of strategic is at least you rebalance keeping on rebalancing and you get some of that. Well, it sounds like the key. Yeah. yeah. It just has to be regularly rebalanced to make sure you're in line. Okay. Mm. Yep. So on the tactical side, um, that's where we've, yeah, so so we, we do a lot of that. Um, but the idea with the tactical side is that you wanted to see managers when markets were up 20% or whatever they were, um, starting to take some off the table. Mm. And so that's the um, generally, you know, what, what you'd be expecting from your tactical manager. Um, maybe they've got a good reason. If they didn't do that, maybe they've got a very good reason and, and they'll explain it and you'll that, that'll be everything will be all right. But um, it, in my mind, um, you know, markets were quite expensive. Most people are talking late cycle. Um, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of justification to be sort of throwing more fuel on the fire at, at the um, right at the peak. Mm-hmm. And so most tactical managers would have been pulling back and, and yep. reducing the, the, the equities. Okay. Um, if you happen to be in a low risk fund, so just ballpark numbers. So if you're in a higher risk sort of growth fund and you're falling by about the same amount of the market, you'd probably be a little bit concerned. You should be even in a higher risk one. You shouldn't be falling as much as the market because you should have had some bonds and cash and other bits and pieces in there. Maybe not heaps, yep. but you should have at least have some. So you should, so you probably shouldn't be falling as much as the market if you're in a higher growth one. And so what's 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 a percentage that people could look for perhaps now that they've got a bit of time over Christmas to have a look at their the super fund for the year perhaps so or if, recently. So if you're picking over a particular period, if you're talking um, you know peak to trough, the market's probably down what. 13 14% um, you you wouldn't want to be down that far on your growth fund which sorry which market oh, sorry, the world market the world markets okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and the Aussie market's probably pretty similar mm-hmm. 
if you're in a low risk fund, you probably want to be about half that mm-hmm. uh, pr- and probably better. Yep. Uh, I think especially a lot of low risk funds uh, usually should be pretty overweight uh, bonds and, and, and cash. Yep. And so, in, in, especially in the very conservative ones, um, you know, you'd probably be one of, yeah, if you if, if you had, if you had neg- yeah if you had a negative five percent you probably you might even be concerned oh absolutely yeah, yeah okay. so um, you know you should be uh, you know a couple of percent down maybe and, and maybe even a couple of percent up depending upon yep. which funds you're invested in okay good point yep mm-hmm. so so that's uh, that's the sort of tactical versions uh, then you've got your versions. Um, there's a bunch of versions out there, and we run a couple ourselves. Where, like, we run an international fund where we're just we're just in international shares at all times. So people, if people want to invest in international shares, they give it to us, and and we'll go and invest in them, mm. um, with the view that people are doing their own asset allocation. Mm, that's right. And so, whereas there are other funds out there, and Magellan's got one that's um, you know probably the one of the highest profile ones, mm-hmm. um, where they do there's something similar where they invest in international, but they can go up to 50% cash. Right. So that's what I sort of call a tactical overlay fund. Yep. So it's, it's got pluses and minuses. If, if you're trying to do your own asset allocation, the, the, the problem can be that you go and give them $100,000 to invest in international for you. And... Um, you, the international does really well and they turn around and say, oh, sorry, guys, we were 50% cash because we were worried about it. Mm, and you're yeah. like, no, 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 I was doing that myself over here. That's so, right. Yeah, so you're you can, to wait. You can yeah. be at cross purposes. On the flip side, um, if you're not doing your asset allocation and you just give them the money, at least they're going to go, well, stocks were pretty expensive, so we put some in cash. Yeah. So it's pretty hard to judge how the, how because the, these guys don't really fit into either one of the buckets. So they're not really a tactical one because they're not out they're not actually out buying bonds and 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 other sort of things to give you a proper diversification. Mm. Uh, on the flip side, they're not one hundred percent invested, so they're sort of sitting somewhere in between. And so again, I think that to me, I I find it very hard to judge the performance of these ones. Mm. I think there's um, you need to work out what you're what you're trying to get out of it. And so if you want an international exposure and, and you're doing the asset allocation yourself, then go buy a fund. There's heaps of them out there and Magellan's even got a few of them that are fully invested at all times. Mm-hmm. And if you want the the, um, tactical the, piece. the tactical piece, in my view, you should go to somebody who does the tactical piece. Yep. But, you know, so, so but these ones be- are sitting in between. It's very hard to judge whether... It's the right product. You need to work yeah, out okay. the right product for you. It's essentially just wearing two hats. And I suppose that's a problem because if you, um, at, not knowing if there's one like this out there, but I'm sure there is, if you went to an Aussie style one that's similar to Magellan, mm. then, um, you know, there's a potential that 50% of your money, even what you think was, a, you know, a, a, a diversified equity sort of arrangement with some international and some uh, local, would then actually be sitting 50% in cash potentially on both sides, and those managers probably aren't talking to each other. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's that's often the danger, and especially you know even some of the the ones that don't run. We we tend to try and run our um, tactical asset allocation from top to bottom, so that we've got our bond portfolio and our, our equities portfolio talking to each other. Mm-hmm. But there are certainly people who put them together as you know one manager. For, from from one group and a different manager from a completely different group, mm. and so you got a bond guy thinking, you know, interest rates are going up, and he's done one way, and you got the the shares guy thinking that they're going down, and and you, you you've got your portfolio working at cross purposes. So. Yeah, or cancelling each other out. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yep, sure. All right, very good. Yep. So that's the yeah, so that's the tactical side. Um, on the returns too stable, and yes, it is. It is a problem. Can, yes, it can be a problem. So yeah. So what does that? We might just need to flesh out what a what a too stable return means. Yeah. <laughs> so, so so the question. Um, so particularly if you're in say a, a higher risk hedge fund or or one of these black box funds where um, 
you've sort of you've come to them and said, yeah, I'm quite an aggressive. Or, you know, I've, I've got a quite a high growth preference, and so you know you might have 70, 80 percent growth, and you're looking at this fund and it hasn't fallen over the past couple of months. Mm. It's sort of flat, and so that might be a fantastic thing. They might have done a fantastic job and found the assets that needed to be found or whatever. But um, there's also a couple of things that could other things it could be. One is it could be fraud. I mean, there's a low chance, but mm. it's, but it's worth paying attention. So when you say fraud, it could be just what them. What's an example of so, what so the in, in, the inv- in the institutional space? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so Bernie Madoff was a, was a, probably the one of the poster children for this one. <laughs> so he had a fund that just clocked in, you know, whatever half one percent a month every single just like clockwork, just all the time. Returns barely varied. Everyone spoke about what a fantastic fund it was. We've got to buy this because uh, you know the 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 markets go up and it just makes this return, and the markets go down and it makes this return. It's just yep. yeah, this is the best thing ever. Mm. And the reason why it was the best thing ever was because they were just making up the numbers. Yeah, gotcha. So, okay. um, yeah, it's not it's it's unlikely, mm. but you know, well worth if you if if you're looking at returns, going how well have I done? Just you know, it's worth. And and, and is an element of that um, knowing who who actually creates the numbers, perhaps as well. So obviously, the the fund or the you know the organisation can create its own results. But is there um, is some way you know, being done externally? Yeah, yeah that's right. Calculated yeah. externally. That's yeah. that's. Yeah, often the, the key of and making sure that the the structures behind it. Like so, as if you're looking at a fund as a um, in terms of whether you'd want to invest in it as a professional investor, there's a number of uh, things you'd have about the auditors and the compliance and the sign offs and, and things like that. You'd ratings, through, ratings, you know, ratings, ratings. You yep. get through your check boxes to say uh, and the types of structures where you go. Well, if it's in some sort of hidden structure where they can basically do whatever they want and tell, get their accountants to to dodge up the numbers, mm. uh, it's obviously a lot harder to. Um, to, Can to, to a third want party. To put, want to put your money into one of those versus <laughs> something where, uh, you know, for example, some of our funds just sit on third-party platforms and, and, the, yep. and the platforms do all the administration and the, the reporting of earning, of reporting of investment returns and things like that. Okay, sure. Yep. So, yeah. Um, not enough risk is, is the other one. So, uh, so there's three, three main things on the turn. So, so if, say, you're in, you've got lots of cash and lots of bonds, that's a great thing mm-hmm. um, for, for the past couple of months. Uh, it's worth just making sure, though, that that's not something you've had sitting there for for, for five years because you've been waiting for the market to to you know for the end of the world. Mm. And um, if you if you don't do anything, you know, another fifteen years, you'll still be sitting there waiting for the the end of the world to happen and, <laughs> and charging and so, a fee <laughs> and getting yeah charge, getting charged fee or even just sitting there with you know it's it, when you look over longer periods of time, um, you you find almost invariably if you if you look over a twenty year period, for example, that uh, equities are going to outperform bonds, which are going to outperform cash. And so, if you're sitting in cash, or if you're sitting in bonds for for too long of a period, and, mm-hmm. and you're not taking any equities, then you, know, you need to consider: are you are you not taking enough risk mm. to, to get returns? Sure. And okay. So um, yeah. So if if that's your problem, it's it's a good problem to have at the moment. But um, yeah, just worth making sure that you've actually got some some trigger points and some some uh, a, a plan to actually get invested. And so and so once again, just sort of I get. Relating it back to sort of someone who's listening at home, um, so how how would you go about actually determining that point number two, not enough risk? So is that is that something that um, they, that a person could say, okay, well, or maybe I'll get the um, you know return or market or an index return based on how the fund was set up when when they told it when they sold it to me potentially, or is it sort of you know mm, do you think, know what I mean? I'm thinking like, more. I guess what I'm thinking is more about the people who are sitting in cash themselves. I get and, oh, and we see a few of these, yeah, personally okay. who's who's sitting in cash and 
have you know I've spoken to a number of people who have been sitting in cash, but they've been sitting in cash for five years mm. because they're they've been through the financial crisis. They're like, this is a you know this is terrible, and the world's economy is terrible, and there's no you know it's all propped up by debt and paralysis by analysis. Money. And <laughs> yeah, and and the investment just sits there and never gets invested. Sure, and okay. so. Um, I guess what I'm trying to get to there is if you have a, something where you go, well, look, I want to be 50-50 weighted or whatever the, whatever the right weighting is for you in terms of equities versus versus um, cash and bonds, is that you have a plan to get there. It's not just I'm going to wait until I feel comfortable and then I'm going to finally going to invest. Mm. It should be, well, look, I, need, I know I need to move there and maybe I'll, I'll put in 5% every six months until I get to... You know, where, where I'm aiming where for. Where I'm at, or you know, five percent every three months, or whatever it is, to get to the the level that you've actually got a plan, or or here is the level that I'm when the market reaches this level, I will be buying and written down and and, and acted upon because that's where most investors generally underperform. Um, professional investors for for a lot of that reason is because they uh, they'll they'll sit back and wait until everything looks great, mm. and that's usually you know close to the market top. Yep, yep. Do you find as well in your experience that um that uh, the thought processes of retail investors, and we've, we've covered off on this a little bit in the past, but um, they're quite uh, binary. It's either all in or all out. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a switch that you go, okay, now's the time, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm either going to love it or regret it as opposed to ticking into a, a various asset, like, you know, vis-a-vis perhaps something that you do at an institutional level. And, and there's times, you know, and a been there a couple of times over the last few months where you're looking and saying well there's a couple of different paths the economy can take and a couple of different paths you can take from a number of things and I'm sitting on a portfolio where I know I'm going to be disappointed either on the upside or the downside <laughs> but if I think I'm equal you know yeah. you're sort of trying to tread this tread, the middle. tread this middle path <laughs> and so um, yeah and that's part of investment is and, and I think for, for a large part um, you know, financial advisors for, for a lot of people are more like a psychologist than a you know because a lot of financial plans aren't actually doing the investment themselves they're giving it to other people to do the investment they're mm. really acting as a bit of a sounding board and a psychologist just to say to you look Tim um, I know you're really scared but you've got to put some of your money to work because you've been really scared for the last 10 years and it's you know Yep, and you're and missing then, out on all these. And, and as you mentioned, there's a diving board approach, and then there's the stairs next to it where you can just sort of slowly work into into the water. Exactly, that's right. Yeah, and I'd, yeah, I'd suggest taking the you know, especially if you're if you're nervous at all or concerned, then take the stairs. Yeah, mm. absolutely. But but you need a plan to take the stairs. Not just I'll, I'll just sit next to the pool and yeah, and, and wait, wait, dangle the feet in, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> go to sleep. Okay, sure. All right. Finally, uh, unlisted unlisted valuations. Yeah. So especially some of the. Uh, uh, there's a lot of super funds that have quite substantial unlisted um, stocks sitting within their portfolios now. And the issue with these is that they, they only get reported, because they're unlisted, um, it's, you need to know when they're getting marked to market. Which means valued. Which actually valued, yeah. Yep. And so, because what can, what can sometimes happen is um, you've got shares, they've got shares sitting in a portfolio, let's say they've got some, um, some REITs and some... some property and, and things like that listed properties just fall in 10% mm-hmm. they're sitting on these other assets and saying well we haven't revalued any of these assets so we're going to call it X so we're going to call it the same. <laughs> last, year's, yeah. last year's value <laughs> yeah so it was $100 last year it's still $100 today wow because you haven't revalued it and then but there'll be they'll, they'll have things about they'll have, they did, often I think it's it's usually every three years or, or, or that some, still some seems like a very year. long time compared to a market which is valued on, Abs- by the minute absolutely <laughs> so and that's the main thing is when you're looking at the returns and saying okay well here's a fund where um, the returns haven't changed and you're saying well is that because they just haven't 
updated the returns mm. you haven't hit refresh on your spreadsheet type thing yep. because because they're unlisted assets and so there's not a there's not a price for them sure and the danger you get into that with with those is when the the, the um when the assets actually have fallen and people know about it and start getting out of the fund mm. and, and you don't know yeah okay. so so the example and i, I used an ex, uh it's, it's sort of an extreme example more extreme example but um, just to sort of show you that if, um, so let's say Tim, you and I have a fund mm-hmm. together. We're both in it. Um, we both stuck $100 into this fund, so it's worth $200. Mm-hmm. The fund's gone out and bought, um, spent $100 and has just left it in cash. And then the other $100 has bought some unlisted shares mm-hmm. in the property. So, uh, let, and let's say that property goes down by 20%. Mm-hmm. So it's down by 20%. Our fund should be worth 180 but it hasn't been marked to market yet. Mm. So it's still telling us it's worth $200. Yep. And we're still, you know, in theory, we've both got $90, but but we're happily looking at our fund statement saying, oh, no, I've got $100. Yep. Now, I decide that I want to get out. Um, so I go to, to the fund and say, you know, here's my fund. It's worth $200. I'd like to get my $100 back. Sure. And they have a look and go, well, yep, that's what we're telling everyone. So they give me the $100 worth of cash. Yep. Now you're left with... And rather than a ten percent fall, I've got a twenty percent fall. fall. Yeah. So, and that's there's a, there's a lot of um, in the unlisted space, in, pro- in property in particular. Um, there's these, a lot of these funds. They know in advance whether things are going to get marked up or marked down, or where they are. Or they're, they're looking and going, okay, well, we've got these prop, we've got three different properties in this area, and we know properties in that area have fallen by this much or risen by that much. Sure. And so they can jump in, and, yeah, yeah, and right. where there are some sort of markets, they can either get out mm. or get get in yep. at favourable prices because they know these things are going to be marked up or marked down. Yeah. Okay. And so they're sort of yeah. So unlisted is Sounds I guess a little bit nefarious. It, it certainly is, <laughs> but but there, I guess there's two there's two parts. Is one is if you've got lots of unlisted assets and they're not being marked to market properly, are you giving up something, especially when markets fall? Yep. Um, and the flip side, and then the other part though as well is when you look at your statement and it looks nice and stable, mm. is it looking nice and stable just because they haven't revalued? And so then you just have to sort of take that with a with a grain of salt. And, and I guess, yeah, once again, um, for, for, the, for the casual observer sitting at home, um, like that that's a terrifying one, I think, just given that example. But how, how once again... How do you get granularity on or visibility on that sort of thing? Like someone could be sitting there assuming that, you know, they're in a, even a liquid property market as opposed to a, is it like, is that something that's written on the, on the packet? Is that, uh, how do you, yeah, or is it in a ratings front. process yeah, or something? How, how do you know? Oh, well, look, um, yeah, if you look through the, the statements, they'll, they'll tell you what, how much they've got of unlisted. Okay. Uh, I mean, something like a, especially a lot of the big industry funds have got lots of unlisted stuff. Mm. So, um, I guess, there's a you you can get it you can get a little bit of from that from that but yep. I guess it's the the point of coming back to um, it's it, it's hard to it's hard to assess these things and I guess the, these are these are the things as as you're looking at a return um, especially if your returns haven't fallen much yeah um, you, you might just want to double check and uh, and I guess ultimately it's just about seeking out investment opportunities that offer that sort of transparency perhaps as well yeah but my personal preference is that you you, you have exactly. transparency and you get <laughs> and you get all the the assets sitting in your own name and, and all that type of stuff that's sort of the way you know i try to set up funds but yep. i can see you know there certainly are benefits from the fund managers of having these unlisted valuations and mm-hmm. and um you know this it looks it looks a lot more stable and but the flip side as well is you do get lockups as well if you're in those ones is that's that's the one to keep an eye on yeah sure because if you do have unlisted valuations and let's let's extend our example and say there were four of us in that fund we were talking about before mm. and 
two of us or three of us turn up and say, oh, well, now we want our money back. Mm. Um, the fund goes, well, I haven't got enough money to, to pay back all three of you, so yep. I'll, I'll only give you part of the money until I can actually sell that asset. Or, and then, and then it hits the papers. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then you're in big trouble. Everyone wants it. Yeah, so so the issue with too much unlisted is, yep. is there's... Liquidity just liquidity stops. dries up, yeah. yeah. Okay, very good. Mm. All right, well, uh, on that note, we'll hear some more about Nicholas Wealth. Nicholas Wealth and the Macro Business Fund was put together to help give you access to quality, well-researched stock analysis and superior macroeconomically-minded asset allocation. We use technology to help us provide a service typically only available to high net worth and sophisticated investors at a fee level that rivals the more basic solutions available to everyday investors. We do this by using separately managed accounts, which allows clients to enjoy unparalleled transparency of what they own and why. It also means that each client effectively owns their own separate and discrete share portfolio managed daily by us. We have partnered with Linear Asset Management, who are backed by the ANZ Bank for Cash Management and JP Morgan, one of the biggest banks in the world, as custodian of your assets. In our new personal superannuation option, we have partnered with Premium, who is backed by HSBC as custodian and ANZ for cash management. We feel these structures are the gold standard for your financial protection. In addition to this, we offer 19 separate and individual ethical screens that you can use to help tailor your investment to ensure that your money is not being used to support companies that deal in areas and practices that you feel are important. By eliminating only the areas that are important to you, you avoid missing out on the potentially higher returning areas that you are ambivalent about, which are often ruled out in other broader ethical investment options currently available in the market. The name Nucleus comes from our ability to provide the core holdings of a client's portfolio, allowing them the time to explore areas that may be of interest or they have experience in. We also offer a complete investment solution for those who don't have the time to coordinate their own investments. Our investment team has decades of experience in world markets and we have access to a global team of stock analysts. By removing the layers of middlemen that sit between your money and the markets, we've been able to reduce fees and provide unparalleled transparency in the solution we provide. For more information on what we can do for you, please call 1300 623-863 or contact us through www.nucleuswealth.com Okay, so while we were rolling uh, the uh, the notes about Nucleus Wealth, we ended up getting a question um, and it says uh, it's incredibly, isn't it incredibly difficult to judge performance over time because of the large amount of time required? For instance, I think that I once read, I read once that a fund manager can't really be judged until they've been excelling for 25 years because it, under, that, under that might have been luck. That's a pretty pretty healthy lucky streak. Uh, and there's an example given there, good looking returns, incepted in 2009. So how do you know how much, how well do you know the manager in the market? Yeah, um, hit on a very important point. It, it's very hard to tell from, um, you know, there's, there's a whole industry based around this, um, try, trying to work out whether uh, fund manager returns are, are real or, or, or not. They spend a lot of the ratings agencies spend a lot of time with it. You know, there's um, having been through a lot of those as well. You get a lot of funny questions about you know things like the um, that they're interested in people going through divorces and and you know the, the the personal situations and and how old you know what's the optimal age for somebody and so, so these are like rated houses or yeah because yeah, so okay. the question is you know if you've got somebody who's forty or you know 
40 or 50 and they've got you know, 10, 15 years to go up this thing and and then all of a sudden they make a lot of money and the question is, well, what are they doing with that money? Are they out, you know, they used, when they were 40 with no money or, or without much working money, hard. they're out working hard and they're, now they're 50 and they're, they're, they're a billionaire. You Bought know, a yacht. It's out, you know, exactly, we're on to the third wife and, and, and those types of things. So um, they can get pretty esoteric, but it, it, it is, it, it's with any manager, it's very hard to work out the luck versus skill part. And, um, you know, I think Warren Buffett, again, to bring back another quote of, quote of his, is, you know, they said, well, if, if you had a coin flipping competition in America and, and you got everyone involved in it, um, the, the thing is there would be a winner. Mm. And so, and, you know, that winner could be sitting there telling everyone about, oh, yeah, you know, I'll make sure I spin my finger in this direction or whatever to, to whatever. But in the end, somebody had to be the winner. Yeah, so, sure. So okay. somebody had to get lucky enough to, to make it through. And so it's that part about, and it's, I know it's, I'm not helping people, but but in terms of in terms of fund managers, um, I, hopefully the tips from today are sort of along those lines of saying, well, there are some things you can do mm. to try and work out whether it's whether it's been luck versus skill, and some things you can do to try and work out well, um, you know, are the returns everything they look like they they they, they should be. Okay, yeah, so. sure. And just just a quick one, actually, and I think it was um, sort of in the spirit of that question as well, where. Um, the listener offered an example of a fund that was opened in 2009. Just to, obviously, you were in the industry um, over that time. I was sitting in the Pilbara. Um, but do you, did you find that there was, um, like, I guess, essentially, want of a better word, some churn where people could basically oh. restart in the in a in a Abs- post GFC? Absolutely. Okay. If, you're, if you're with a <laughs> if you if you're with a big fund, um, a, a big house that, that has a number of funds, then you're starting funds. You know, semi-regularly, mm. and um, part of that is because you've got a sales force who are out selling things, and and you you'd like to have different funds because, um, you know, Joe in the corner is going to be the best performer over the quarter for for this month. Yep, and all your sales force can go out and push his fund, and then he'll underperform, and and Bill in the other corner will be, you know, and then Sarah the next the next month is is a performer, and so you want a diversification, and it, the more you know, if you've got funds, some funds started earlier, some funds started later. You can come up with a story for the you know to the whole lot. You've always got something to sell. You've yeah. got a Salesforce there who needs to get out and sell these funds. Yep. So the, the more diverse you can find in terms of when they started, when they uh, what what their strategies are, what they're doing, mm. uh, the better for for you as a as, okay. a as a fund house. Yeah. Sure. Okay. No. Great point. Oh, very good. Thanks, Damien. So um. Oh, well, uh, I'll just jump back on track now. So we've got, uh, as always, I'll, I'll let you know that our personal superannuation uh, option is up and running and keeping me very busy. Uh, you can head over to portal.nucleuswealth.com. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to select your ethical themes. As mentioned before, we've got 19 different ethical th- themes and a couple of portfolio screens. Uh, we've also loaded up 40 plus of the biggest uh, funds in Australia by uh, by size and by membership, um, where it gives you a range of uh, comparative fees to um, give uh, some some level of subjectivity to to our fee estimates that we give you in in the onboarding. Um, and of course, as always, you can seek advice. So you can either choose from our portfolios yourself. You can get some help uh, in uh, internally, I guess, essentially in limited advice they call it on the, on an appropriate investment for you. Or we can make a referral to a, a third party group of face to face advisors if you feel that's what you need. 
Um, coming up, so next week, uh, we're over the Christmas uh, holiday break. We're going to drag one out from the vault, and we thought, given the, uh, all the recent uh, market volatility in the last few months, uh, we, we thought we might pull out uh, one of our uh, more favourite ones, uh, which we've entitled uh, Good Defence is the Best Offence, which we actually went live with a couple of months ago. Um, we had some good feedback from that one. What it does is really just run through the uh, the building blocks, I guess, of a, you know the defensive elements of a portfolio, uh, what to use, what potentially not to use, uh, and and of course what what we what we use. So that's uh, going to be available. We'll post it up on the um, the live page, uh, the Nicholas Wealth live page on the twenty seventh of December, twelve thirty, and you can also find it if you want to get in before then on our YouTube channel. And, of course, wherever good podcasts are found. So uh, we are available on Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Attic. Uh, if you'd like, head over to bit.ly forward slash Nicholas Insights as well. Um, if, you, if you've got some time, maybe uh, over the Christmas break, uh, if, you, if you wouldn't mind giving us some stars or writing a review, give us a bit of feedback uh, or some accolades or otherwise. Uh, and it just helps drive, our, uh, drive people to, uh, to check out what we do and get our message out there. So on that note, uh, thank you very much for attending. And uh, we'd just like to say as our final live one for uh, 2018, all the best for a safe and enjoyable Christmas break, holiday break, Kwanzaa, Festivus, whatever you, uh, whatever you, what takes your fancy. And uh, we, we do wish you all the best for a safe and healthy, prosperous 2019. And we thank you for your, all your support going forward. So on that note, I, uh, I've got a lot out of today and I hope you did too. And I look forward to catching you at the next one in the new year. Cheers.